As blockchain marches on, new models for governance are emerging. The question can be asked, do decentralized autonomous organizations, otherwise known as DAOs, present a threat to the prevalent model of for-profit corporations? We're going to go down that rabbit hole and examine what that would mean as we welcome Christian Kamir, managing partner at blockchain venture fund Sustany Capital, to the show. As we chase that elusive white rabbit, we'll also consider that Bitcoin is akin to a massively multiplayer online game. So order extra mushrooms for your pizza because you might encounter a Cheshire Cat or Mad Hatter on episode number 194 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Going down the rabbit hole on the Bad Crypto Podcast, the show for the crypto curious and the crypto serious. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go ask Alice. I think she'll know. Mm. Yeah. So today is it's an interesting episode because, you know, we're talking about DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations, not to be confused with the DAO ICO, which which happened, which is why Ethereum ended up having to fork with Ethereum and Ethereum Classic because of the hack that had happened with that. But decentralized autonomous organizations are are very unique because if you have a decentralized autonomous organization, you have no headquarters, you have no you have no boss, you have no place where you go to an office, right? It's decentralized, and uh, we're going to have some some chats about that today, Mr. Jolcom. Yes, also not related to the DAO of motorcycle maintenance or the DAO of poo. Mm. Well, that's the the TAO, the D, the T A O. This is the D A O. So that's true. Those are those are different. I thought it was pronounced DAO, though. It is pronounced DAO, but it looks like TAO, TAO. But it's spelled TAO, so everybody says it wrong, but it's actually pronounced DAO, and it's that whole Zen thing. You're so mean, Zenish. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. There's nobody who is the boss, not even Tony Danza, when we're talking about these decentralized organizations. And we have acquired Christian Kamir to come on and talk about that. He's passionate about the subject matter. He is a managing partner at Sustany Capital, and he has much to say on the topic. Are for-profit corporations doomed? Is it over for them? Are they all going to burn? But for a good reason, because of decentralized organizations. That's the topic of what we're going to explore in this interview with Christian K. Meyer. He's managing partner at a blockchain venture fund, Sustany Capital. He's been a tech entrepreneur since the dial-up days, me too. And his current focus is tokenization strategies and smart contracts and virtual asset investing. He's a lawyer, but we won't hold that against him. He's an official member of the Forbes Finance Council and he's here right now, somewhere, wherever it is he is. Hey, Christian. Hey, gentlemen, calling in from Newport Beach, California. Ah, fantastic. With a very pronounced German accent. Uh, yeah, I'll try to tone that down. No, no, we, we like it. We're an international show here. It's true. And you can maybe add a little bit of Californian to it, though. Like, you know, throw some dudes uh, in there. I'll give that a bra, try. Throw in a bra. Okay. Yeah, I can do a limited <laughs> form of Oxford English. That's why I kind of learned English. Well, why don't you hit us up with a little bit of your background so uh, we know where you're coming from? And I don't just mean California. 
Yeah, so I was a software developer in the 80s, which didn't mean much back then. So I just learned basic and my first computer was an Atari 520 ST and subsequently uh, Commodore 64, which I'm sure you guys are pretty familiar with. And then made the unfortunate decision to go to law school instead and become a lawyer and then kind of hit the tail end um, of the decentralization of the telecommunication market. So did some regulatory work for the Federal Communications Commission and started writing on doctor thesis on some really boring topics in telecommunication law, which then eventually landed me at an internet service provider because obviously telecommunication and internet services were still strictly intertwined, right? So it was the dial-up days, obviously. And so we were very lucky. We grew the company very fast and were on track to do an IPO, which thankfully we didn't do. Instead, we, we sold six weeks before NASDAQ hit its all-time high for a really good valuation. And that basically allowed me to retire from the law after a short period of time. So I left Europe in 2000, um, moving to Southern California to join a venture fund instead. And so been doing different, uh, different technology startups and or venture funds ever since. So been exposed to the topic of virtual currencies since um, 1999. Uh, so we were heavily invested in multi-massive online player games. We invested in some of the early voice of IP platforms. And to me, the reason why I got into blockchain, which might be interesting, is not so much because of the currency aspect, um, but mainly because I saw the option that we now finally have the opportunity to actually develop the World Wide Web for the first time because I kind of found that we didn't actually end up building the, the World Wide Web, but we built the commercial web, right? So that's being controlled by very few companies for access and by even fewer companies for content control. And so that got me really interest in the blockchain space for the first time, specifically when Ethereum came around. It's been an interesting journey for those of us who have been in technology for as long as, you know, you know, as I got on in 96 for the first time on the internet, Joel got on earlier than that. And then, and, and you coding back in the, in the eighties, um, you know, it's, it's been wild. And now, so blockchain has really opened the door for a whole lot of opportunity. And Joel and I, you know, we've we've chatted with nearly 200 different companies that are building projects on the blockchain. And so I guess I want to ask you then is that, you know, what are some of the more interesting things that, that you've seen that blockchain can do to sort of help make the world maybe a better place? Yeah, I think the most interesting thing really is this idea of being able to align um, the interest of all stakeholders, right? I mean, that, that sounds sort of esoteric until you start implementing it. But most people seem to kind of ignore us that Bitcoin, aside from introducing the paradigm of blockchains and kind of a, a new form of electronic money, um, introduced this decentralized autonomous organization. And that because of the failure, quote unquote, of the DAO, so the, the specific project, um, hasn't gotten much play as of late and hasn't gotten much play in, co in comparison to the whole discussion around cryptocurrencies and trading and so forth. But um, to me, that's actually the most important aspect of um, what blockchain is capable of doing. So if you go into some of the specifics here, it's like, uh, as we all know, Bitcoin as the prime example doesn't have a Bitcoin corporation that's sustaining it. If you 
turned off the internet, chances are um, that Bitcoin will still work. But surely if you turned the internet back on, then Bitcoin would be right back. Don't so turn off my internet. Don't do it. Uh. So it's a super sustainable system from different aspects. So a, uh, the one that I hinted at was the technology aspect, but then the other part is um, its structure as an organization so that the incentives of the people that are participating in the network are aligned so that no one has the overriding interest of wanting to own the entire net or as you typically refer to the like the 51% attack. It comes always back to me to this paradigm. If you owned all the money in the world, how much would you own? You would actually own nothing, right? So, but long story short, if you look at the for-profit paradigm, that's kind of the overriding system for most um, capital-driven societies these days, they created a lot of unwanted externalities. So not only do you have a lot of pollution um, that these companies create that they don't have to pay for, but then you also have misalignment of interests of people that are uh, working supposedly together on these corporations, i.e. employees want to be paid the most, shareholders just want to typically make the most profits, operators have their own interests, i.e. furthering a certain technology as an example. Um, and so you get these zombies um, that pretend to be in the world to serve one purpose, like I am a search engine, when actually what I am, I'm a marketing company, right? So um, I wrote an article more than 10 years ago, ago about the topic that you as the user are not actually um, what you think you are on Google, you're really the product. And this theme finally has come back a decade later where most people now seem to realize that, hey, uh, yeah, as a, as a user, I'm actually the product that Google is selling to marketers, right? And Google is not a, it's not a search engine by any stretch of the imagination. It is actually a marketing company that makes its money by selling your data and uh, selling your attention and time. Um, well, it's a government agency uh, pretending to be a marketing agency, pretending to be a search engine. What, right. <laughs> what this does is really, though, because it's – so it says, hey, my, my mission is to make the world's information more um, accessible and useful and whatnot, and that's still the mission statement of you. Um, look for that online, but obviously that mission statement is utterly subsequent to them making profit, right? They are for-profit, publicly traded corporation under the moniker of Alphabet. So even if they wanted to give you a better search result, it would always be constrained first to um, being able to monetize that. And so right now, as long as they are limited to make money by by selling your attention, um, they cannot take out advertising out of their system. So, but then more importantly, they also created kind of this externality of an industry that you guys, I think, have participated. So, have I in the past of the search engine optimization, and right? it's it's a pure externality. So, it's purely something that came out of the fact that you can make money from people clicking on links. On websites, and so, right? you 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 see that there's well, a new uh, th these markets are primed for disruption, right? The search engines, so-called search engines, the so-called social media sites. 
um, that they're actually being positioned right now that they've got a problem when a decentralized autonomous corporation rises up that doesn't use the same method of uh, making people the product. Sure. I mean, A, they're a one-trick pony, right? If you take their profits away, if let's say you developed a search engine just using their results and adding a couple of other useful search engines to the mix, but then filter out commercial intent of the, out of the results and you attach that to an autonomous corporation, you probably receive a search result that's better by several orders of magnitude, right? Because you just cleaned out all the link bait and all the fake content. I mean, for, for every useful page on the internet, there's probably a million that have been created um, by bots and or by people that made pennies at the time just for the purpose of being ranked on search engine results pages. And so you and I could easily create a better algorithm simply by creating this particular monetary filter. So that makes the search engine super vulnerable. But at the end of the day, this is just one of the many examples that for-profit corporations create. At, at the end of the day, for-profit corporations by the mere um, incorporation with that particular purpose, have to create profit and maximize profit for their shareholders. So if I want to provide you with the best food, the best information, the best car, well, I still have to make a profit. I still want to try to maximize profit first, right? So if not everybody is pulling into the same direction, that for-profit motive will always outrank any other objective in the system. So if, if I go to the store, I pick the best steak and I cook it just to my liking, right? As if I run a restaurant, then hey, then I pick that particular piece of meat that lasts the longest and gives me the most profit. And I'm simplifying here, but you see what, where this is going. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to ask a question around, you know, how, how a DAO, a, a decentralized autonomous organization, can maybe make pay between the CEO and the average worker a little more reasonable because back in the 1950s, a typical CEO made about 20 times the salary of the average worker. And as reported in Forbes in May, the current uh, CEO pay is 361 times the average rank and file worker. They're getting about $14 million a year, the CEO. So Maybe how would how would the DAO organization, decentralized organizations, how how would that impact that? Because to me, that just seems to be a huge, huge gap between the haves and the have-nots within these organizations. Well, in a DAO, you don't have that particular hierarchy per se, fortunately, right? So you, you don't necessarily have managers. You have stakeholders that have fulfill different functions and they are compensated based on that particular function, right? That be to maintain a node or to provide some form of governance. So what, whatever your skill set is that you bring to the network and everybody in the network gets a say about what everybody um, can make and be compensated for. Just with the typical example of Bitcoin or Dash where you, for just maintaining a node, you get a certain form of compensation and the network at the end of the day together decides how much that compensation is. You, uh, you wrote this article on LinkedIn that got my attention um, and you've likened Bitcoin to a massively multiplayer game. Um, and I, I know you've invested in MMOs in the past. I'm curious, first of all, I'm curious, which ones did you have a role in? <laughs> EverQuest. 
Okay. I'm familiar with it. Very successful in its time uh, until World of Warcraft came in and, uh, and, and stole the throne. So how, how is Bitcoin like an MMO? So right now, obviously, it has very limited real-world applications, right? The, the most that it's being transferred for is just for speculation and or, as you know, most people are holding it. They're holding it for the long term in expectation of it appreciating, right? So in a way, as, as long as it doesn't fulfill its original mission of being electronic cash, People are just simply keeping it in its particular ecosystem and trading it like a virtual gold in any other multi-massive online player game where you assume that at one point in time, it might be worth more and that's why you're sitting on it and you sell it to other players because right now you're pretty much limited to sell it to other players outside of the few bridges that exist into the real fiat world, if you want to call that world real. Unless you're a Chinese uh, gold farmer and you're you're selling in-game currency, uh, you know, on eBay. Yeah, so it's it's still very much um, the same if you just look at uh, how it's being used currently. Very good. Um, so I guess what I would ask then is, you know, do you see you know existing corporations eventually moving to the decentralized autonomous corporation model because. A lot of these companies, I think they like their power. They they like their hierarchy. They like to be holding to the stock market and whatnot. So maybe what's it going to take for some you know big organization to, to move to a model like this? Or is that even I feasible? I think most corporations will have to find a strategy to work towards that. Simply because um, if you are in a space that's being entered by a decentralized autonomous corporation, so if, if you're Google and there's a decentralized autonomous organization that's offering a far superior search result, then you remember how fast people went away from Yahoo to move to Google once they realized, hey, this is a much better search experience. So if that's the case, then they have to, to scramble and try to provide the same service and find a different model. Making money, well, let's let's speculate on that, Christian. Let, let's yeah. let's pick on Facebook because I love picking on Mark Zuckerberg. Um, you know, their model is advertising and right. sell and selling data. Who knows how they're actually using the data that they have? I don't trust them at all. I still use the platform uh, because I'm going to leverage it, you know, in a way that's best for me. But I don't trust them at all. Uh, you know that they're working on blockchain. I mean, all of the big, big Silicon Valley tech giants have to be developing something. How would they pivot, Facebook in particular? How would they pivot? Well, for one, they would have to and already do need to comply now with the general data protection rights from, from Europe, right? That, that was one thing that stood out to me, particularly when I moved here, because a lot of the things that are that corporations are capable of doing here were already illegal um, in Europe when I left, right? I was utterly surprised to find out that there's corporation that can collect information about me and sell it to other entities. That's not something that was ever legal where I am from. So from that perspective, um, I think that most people will actually have to own their own identity, be able to manage their identity. So there are currently tools already available on Facebook. So it would behoove them to actually make those tools available in an easy form to actually 
create, let's say, an identity protocol and then give those rights back to the user. And that doesn't mean that they cannot necessarily um, make any type of profit of it, um, but they would actually leave the granularity of how this data can be used to the user and potentially actually make more money with that because there are certain ways uh, that users would like their data to be used for, i.e. if I have a rare disease or uh, there's early warning signs to be had for me, either environmentally or in, in, inside of my um, current behavior that's being tracked by any number of devices. The problem comes into the scenario where this data is simply being used to present me with advertising because that at the end of the day doesn't make my life better and doesn't make the world a better place. So for anybody who's a data broker today, uh, they should think long and hard of how can this data to be used to actually provide a service to the person that actually is the um, original owner of that data. And that's not easy to do. But then again, at the end of the day, nothing else will be viable, right? You, you'll be um, in violation of the particular laws. And I'm, I think you're probably aware of what the fines are for the violation of those laws. It's like, I believe, 4% of worldwide um, revenue for one infraction. So even large corporations such as Facebook and Google, that will hurt. That's just such a bogus to me, though, for them to come up like, you know what, for your first infraction, we're going to take 4% of your global revenue. Like, like, who came up with that to me? I mean, I know I've, I've, I've researched it. I'm familiar with it. But just to me, it just seems kind of bogus that some governing organization can say, we're going to take a vast percentage of your revenue just because, um, you know, this, this the, the monkey and the Pandora's box has been open uh, for a long time when it comes to data. And I guess trying to reel it in, I guess it's, it's, it's going to be difficult, but you know, who's going to pay those? It's like if you, like if I am a, a corporation and I'm in Mexico and then somebody gets on a mailing list and they get an infraction, I mean, who's to enforce that? Like a lot of these small businesses are just going to go, yeah, haha, I'm not going to pay that. Like it just, to me, it just seems. Yeah, the enforcement is definitely not well thought out at this point in time for sure. I mean, that's why you still get this huge amount of um, junk mail in your inbox, right? Because the, the um, infraction costs here specifically in California due to the spam protection acts are pretty high, but yeah, that's very hard to enforce that. But again, um, I think once we're getting off the, the centralized versions of, of internet, and that's part of the um, idea behind certain blockchain protocols is you, you can penalize that behavior directly, right? Because you need to use that particular infrastructure mm -hmm. to reach the user. So there's a couple of steps in between that we need to solve. Quite well, and, and one of the other problems with the search engines and social sites is uh, they may have a bias, right? And when you've got a centralized organization, corporation like this, that can decide who has a voice and who doesn't, um, who can post something violent and, you know, not be banned uh, but while somebody else is for posting the same thing, we've got a problem. Yeah, and I mean, the, the biggest loss for us as a society is that we didn't fulfill the original promises of this particular technology. So um, like the World Wide Web implementation of the internet, if you read the original work by Tim Berners-Lee, was originally the idea to connect human brains. So initially, particularly at CERN at the Nuclear Research Facility in Switzerland, 
um, to then collaborate, right? This collaboration on large scale hasn't really materialized because now you got a vast amount of commercial information and junk basically that you have to weed through before you get to actual information. Think about the potential that we are wasting of people that spend their time optimizing uh, algorithms that entice people to click on links rather than solving real problems. And, and that's such a waste of resources from everybody involved. That That's something that shouldn't happen. I mean, that certain information is even being disseminated makes no sense at this point in time. I mean, the, the world's not flat. Vaccines don't kill people. And, and all this information that you can find online, you can insulate yourself from the real world, right? So you can keep your own beliefs intact, even though they're in conflict with well-known realities. Well, I think that sometimes the quote-unquote well-known realities can be narratives that we've been placed in, you know, that, that are now common narratives. And you don't question those anymore, folks, because we don't want you to. And in some cases, you know, those are not correct. Right. My my sister is a Ph.D. in microbiology, and she's noted many different vaccines are not good. She's done the research on them. Right. She's got a Ph.D. in it. And she's a, one of the she works with the CDC, um, the Center of Disease Control. And, and it has some has works with these level four bio labs. And, you know, what we think in some cases is the undeniable truth in some cases are not. But we get to a point where we can no longer question things. And if you do question them, then you're labeled something. And then now, in some cases, in China, if you don't get the right Internet points, right, if you are asking the wrong questions or you question the government, then you lose your social points. And if you lose enough social points, you can't take a train anymore. You can't use an airplane anymore. And now Facebook is using this same sort of a thing where they say, if if what you say is on point with the narrative that they want to promote, they'll give you a zero or a one score. And if you have a zero score, well, then now you're pegged as somebody who is a deplorable, so to say, and uh, a ne'er-do-well online, and your opinion does not matter. They're going to try to limit what we can say. And I think that goes against what you just said about the internet being open and connecting minds. It's almost like today we don't like to have conversation and discussions on things because You're if somebody feelings, has a different Travis. opinion Stop. than me, then Stop I want to scream at them and call them a Nazi. It's weird. Right. It's yeah. so weird. And, and I think today. that's one of those externalities of the algorithms that are being implemented because they're, they're optimized for c people clicking on links. So And that's pretty binary. Either it's something that you're upset with or it's something that you agree with. It's, it's typically not something where you could let's say, have a learning experience to expand your mind, right? You're, you're either going to re strongly reject it, but they're playing on people's emotions, right? They're not playing to um, people wanting to learn something new. They're creating this kind of binary world. Every mm. We need more of that. You know, it's like the curiosity gets lost on a lot of people after they finish, you know, after they finish college and university a lot of times, you know, there's these statistics out there that a lot of people don't even finish reading a whole like 50 some odd percent of people never read a book again. Right. And like curiosity somehow gets lost along the way in our education system. And then we have 
these feedback loops on social media that sort of drip dopamine every time you, oh, I got to check how many likes did I get on this? How many comments did I get? And it creates a sort of addictive behavior where we're just searching for validation and not action. And we stop searching for knowledge. It's weird. No, it's exactly what we, we saw in scientific research. I've been seeing in scientific research for a long time that's being instrumentalized in this particular algorithm. Because so in scientific research, it's it's the confirmation bias, right? It's the opposite of the scientific method. You're you're putting out a theory, and instead of what you should be doing is trying to find things that invalidate that theory, you're just looking for things that confirm it, right? And that's exactly what those social media systems allow so if you want to um, find confirmation that the world is flat you can google it and yep then the world is flat or that all people with a certain belief are evil you can find that confirmed pretty easily by searching for it rather than something that's more nuanced but the point is um, i mean if you got taught every single religion in school you probably wouldn't pick any one of those right you, you just see that they're all kind of interesting stories that are all somewhat interconnected, but you, you're creating some knowledge about the real world and you understand other people better, right? And that's it. That's a great point. That was a really good point right there because whenever I grew up, my mom and dad, the, I think the only book that I ever saw my mom read was the Bible, right? right? And so by the fact that I knew that she didn't sort of branch out and read other stuff, that naturally made me go, eh, I'm going to read all of them right. because – I don't know why you, you, you're, you're, you're telling me this one is the truth, but how do you know you've not read any of the other ones? And so for me, being curious and also kind of being a pain in the ass, kind of a rebel, I'd be like, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to go read them all then. And then I did. And then I came to the conclusion, well, there's some sort of God, some of this universe connection, spiritual wondrousness, but I don't necessarily know that it's what we think it is. Uh, the, and we get taught this dogma. We get taught all these narratives and all these things and we rarely will question those key beliefs in our life and i think that a lot of times that's that's a detriment to people because they don't question well travis even there though you make a, a conclusion you said there there is some sort of god or something so did you read the atheist book because you know i didn't read that one yeah no. you need, need to read that one too because to there's not one yeah no, you, there is one I've come see to, I've come I'll, to, I'll, I'll actually I'll actually take exception with that and say that some of the, the biggest religious scholars in the world are well-read from across, and they've made a decision based on the information. And maybe that points more to the problem is that people just aren't informed uh, before mm -hmm. coming to a conclusion. Yeah, and that's what you need. I mean, you need to be exposed to different ideas, different mindsets, different theories. At the end of the day, belief is simply the absence of knowledge, right? Once I set you on the moon and I show you that the world is actually um, round of sorts, then you, it's hard for you to go back to see the world as flat. Yeah, but right? we didn't land on the moon. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's on the internet, too. <laughs> right. All right. Well, All right. Elon is working on a solution there. Right. Well, let me let me ask you this then. Um, going back to the the social and search sites, the giants, is it likely that they will be able to pivot successfully, or will we once again see a transition? Will a company rise up and demonstrate that hey, these companies are monsters; they're the leviathans, but nobody is too big to fail and and lose their user base? 
No one is too big to fail. I mean, you and I remember the days of AOL, right? Uh -huh. Where for most people, AOL was the internet, right? And now we think of AOL as kind of a cutesy thing that a few old people still use and they still maintain the email addresses and supposedly a few million people still pay them $26. Oh my gosh. We actually Joel, remember. JoelCom Joel at AOL.com. Right. We yeah. actually remember when it was called America Online uh, before right. they went with the AOL branding. Yeah, exactly. And so um, one of my favorite stories is, is really when AOL acquired Time Warner. It was a 51 to 49% merge. And you guys probably remember that for a short period of time was AOL Time Warner. And so at that point in time, everybody thought, hey, yes, the internet and, there's, and people thought of AOL as the internet is taking over media and is taking over the world as an extension. And that didn't happen, right? So AOL is, is not relevant or it's not on anybody's mind today. So I can totally see how this could happen to Facebook and Google and any of the other large websites that are now super decentralized because that's the part that makes them vulnerable, right? So they employ mil uh, not millions, but thousands of people to do what they do. They, um, uh, they deploy millions of dollars of hardware to do what they do, right? It's, it's in, in tremendously inefficient the way, for example, that search is being delivered because of the fact that most of the energy is being um, used to actually run it against the advertising index and to figure out what's the best ad to show to you rather than centering the result around you. So from that perspective, Uh, they are very vulnerable because they're one-trick ponies. I mean, if you take that one particular revenue source away, um, what are they going to do? They need to pivot to something really, really fast and probably lay off most of the people that they hired because they didn't develop any useful skills that are useful to this new economy that we are building, a new decentralized economy where people don't work all day for optimized um, eyeballs to see certain advertisings. I mean, that, that, again, it doesn't make the world a better, better place. It doesn't make my life better. It doesn't make your life better. Me neither. I, I wish it did. I <laughs> so, so let me ask you then, you know, what are some other things that you're seeing in the crypto and blockchain space? I mean, you have, uh, uh, you know, your own VC firm. You're investing in a lot of different stuff. You're talking about this on Forbes. So what are maybe some other things that are interesting to you right now that you'd like to share with our audience? Well, I think what would be important for everybody to put a more nuanced perspective on is to, to stop calling this entire space crypto anything, right? Because, I mean, that's a little bit like calling everything internet secure socket layer. I mean, the cryptographic approach um, to the blockchain to secure uh, the data that's being stored is a useful and necessary feature, but it's by all means not the most important thing. So to that extent... A lot of people that enter the space look at as everything being a cryptocurrency. And there's really, if you stay true to the word and its definition, there's only a handful of cryptocurrencies. Most of these companies or entities that are out there and projects that are building on top of blockchains or building blockchains themselves, um, they might have a virtual asset that has cryptocurrency facets, but that by by any imagination is the least important aspect of what they are doing. So most of the projects in the space are startups, right? And you, you should start valuating those based on the product market fit about 
timing where this particular space is. There, there is no such thing as a an asset class per se at this moment in time, but people desperately are trying to make this an asset class because, yeah, right now the most quote-unquote interesting piece is to trade these assets on exchanges, which for the most part, as you know, are, are centralized. But that's just a very ephemeral aspect that people need to understand um, is not the important part of what blockchains build. And so people need to understand that they should only look at a few um, specific assets on the blockchain as cryptocurrencies and everything else has a a particular purpose in its network that they should be understanding in order to participate in this ecosystem. Otherwise, if you look at this as an investment, you're prone to make the wrong decisions because currencies have very a particular allocation decision-making processes. Um, and if you apply those to something that's really a startup that doesn't uh, have a relationship to the cryptocurrency, but that's using this virtual asset for a function in their system, or it's uh, a, a unique virtual asset that they're selling on their own merits, that's those nuances you want to understand at this point in time. But unfortunately, we have uh, let this um like nice term crypto get away with it to where everybody's referring to everything as crypto and there's a lot of education needed to get the discussion away from that does that make sense this has been fascinating christian i want to get your opinion uh, before we close out here today on two things um one the future of bitcoin uh but also are you of the mindset that um, we're going to end up with just a few currencies and or tokens, or is there going to is this mass proliferation of different utility tokens going to grow a- and use those? So both of those, pick them apart either way you want to. Uh, sure. So addressing your first question first in in terms of Bitcoin. So if you look at this history and what the original white paper said, it. It's unlikely at its current implementation that it's going to become digital cash, right? For, I mean, the, the, most of the time what's being pointed out, it's, it's limited to 21 million, which is not very useful if you wanted to make it uh, digital cash, right? You shouldn't have been limiting that, but maybe, um, that, that can be mitigated because at the end of the day, Bitcoin is an open source software. So I, mostly liking it to Linux. Linux is around in different flavors for different purposes and and can be customized to my specific needs. And so we already have a couple of forks that are more or less interesting, Um, but there might be more and people might be working on uh, this to uh, realize different applications. But the, the main blockchain, the main Bitcoin will be around, in my opinion, So because it has mostly been adopted as digital gold at this point in time. So if it doesn't change much, then I would concur with the prediction of a lot of people in the space that think that it's going to go much higher than where it is now, but it's going to be treated as a digital gold, as kind of the reserve towards other assets. And as far as differentiation for uh, different other tokens, so non-native assets to a blockchain, I think there will be some around that have limited utility in certain, let's call them jurisdictions and or communities, and we traded there for a long time. And I think that also certain um, governments will start adopting those because 
of its inherent better technology, right? So what's often misunderstood and where the discussion always goes away is um, there's two aspects to this. Currency is a technology where money is an agreement. So what I mean by that is if you and I agree that seashells in between us are money, then they are money. And only the agreement is needed. There's no real technology in play. Same if you go to a casino, you go in there, you understand that, hey, I'm going to pick up these plastic chips and I can use them here as a medium of exchange in this environment. And that that will be around in, in that same fashion. If you have a certain ecosystem that's large enough, it makes sense to implement your own currency. So as an example, if I'm a large airline and I already have a frequent flyer program, you probably should make that your own currency at this point in time because then you get the chance of actually aligning the interest between your users, your customers, your suppliers, and anybody else that wants to take part in that ecosystem without needing the actual additional friction that's being created by transferring it to yet another ecosystem. So on a global perspective, um, economies are, if you want to simplify it, based on production and consumption and anything in between, any medium in between, is simply friction you're trying to reduce. So we came from situations where we were mostly agrarians and we would consume most of what we produced. And then we got away from that and we needed, in order to facilitate that, introduce intermediaries. And so intermediaries could be technologies such as currencies and agreements such as money. But then also you had transportation and logistics, the exchange of information. So now with blockchain, you get the opportunity to build all these frictions that we created that were necessary in order to create marketplaces directly into the actual token, into your actual um, virtual good that you're selling or whatever the virtual good is representing in the real world. So um, that was kind of a long-winded answer to tell you um, that there will be new marketplaces that will mainly consist of the assets and services that we're already buying and selling, but that are more inherent to the original product or service that we are consuming. Does it make sense? Long-winded and it makes sense. <laughs> Mr. Travis Wright, do you have anything else for our guest today? Uh, I do not. I just want to say thank you for coming on Bad Crypto and sharing uh, your knowledge of the blockchain and decentralized autonomous organizations and all the other great stuff that we chatted about. Really appreciate it. No, no, thank you for and, having me. And that. Christian, uh, your website, sustany.co, is that correct? Yeah, it's sustany.co where you can see what we invest in if you are interested in approaching us. And then we also have another one, sustany.io. We kind of have this sort of ICO underwriting business where we take on a few projects a year that we think are on the right track but are missing something, so we'll help them out. Excellent. Thanks again. Thank you, guys. I love doing this show, Mr. Travis Wright. I love having these guests on. I love that if you look at where we were when we started this, well, I'm just going to speak for myself. Uh, a, a year and a half ago, was when I started going down this blockchain rabbit hole. It was April 2017. We started the show in July, and I did not know beans. I did not know diddly. I did not know squat. Mm -hmm. And now 
I feel like I know a little bit. I could actually speak to this topic, and and I do from the stage. And and you and I talk about this stuff all the time, and it really is a rabbit hole because the more you learn, the more you see there is to know. And unlike a, a rabbit hole, you know, a hole that is like an inverted triangle, you know, you enter and it goes down and gets smaller. This thing is small when you enter, but it just gets wider and wider as you go down it it's like whoa there's a whole world down here this is this is earth changing yeah you'd think that we we should finally know a few things about this since we've done 250 episodes if not we've wasted a whole lot of people's time <laughs> i don't think you know uh, learning some information and having many lols is wasting time i just i'm still having such a great time doing this show with you and i just want to thank everybody who listens and pays attention and writes us and subscribes and reviews and follows and engages with us on the mastermind and telegram and your emails and our contact form and just and, and meets us you know it's like we people will bump into us and say hey you're joel or you're travis and and they still get confused when they discover that your voice, it does not belong to me, and my voice does not belong to you. Yeah, what's so funny is when we actually meet people in person, I always tell them I'm Joel. <laughs> and then you're and like, like, you're not Joel. I, I'm Joel. And I'm like, well, I don't know. It's on a blockchain. I'm Joel. How are you going to disagree? It's immutable. <laughs> you'll, even, you'll even wear a name tag that says Joel. <laughs> I, have, I have wear name, wore name tags that say Joel just to mess with people because it's funny to me. But uh, you know what? I I I'm, I concur with everything you said. I mean, this is it is quite a rabbit hole. When you think you know, you know a substantial amount about it, you're like, wow, there's just a whole other door that opens up that 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 we were clueless to. You know, DAOs were not something that we really truly knew about until we had a great conversation here with Christian. And um, there's a lot more that we don't know, and so that's why we keep talking to the smart smart people in the space and learning and going to events and and uh, connecting with amazing people and uh, connecting with our fans and, and and having a great time while learning and sharing what we're learning and just so you guys know what's coming we've got a show coming up on the the history of money uh, we've got another show coming up on the future of money. We've got John McAfee. We've already conducted the interview. It was great fun. The Mac is back. That's going to be coming up in episode number 200. And we are planning out tons of fantastic content for you. So tell a friend, tell 10 friends, take their phones, subscribe to the Bad Crypto Podcast for them while they're not looking. And then when they go to their podcast, they'll be like, Oh, what's this? Oh, Apple must be pushing, you know, this on me the way they they shoved that U2 album in my face. I guess I'll give it a listen. Yeah, we're, we're actually we're in, we're in discussions with the White House about making it mandatory and sending out a bad crypto alert to everyone's phone. And uh, but uh, we're still in discussions. <laughs> and by discussions, you mean in your mind, you're imagining that that would happen. <laughs> Thanks for listening, gang. We appreciate you. Stay bad. The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto, LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's 
and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.